0: Hello, all my lovelies, and welcome back to Body Ballads, where we look at many of the forgotten, hilarious, and often dirty old songs. Along the way, we'll explore all those things that make life a bit more interesting. There's trickery, infidelity, lovin', drinking, and fighting. While we dig deep into these songs, we'll talk about all kinds of things. Archetypes, history, folklore, and we'll share the way these songs connect with the present. Fair warning before we begin, though. This show does discuss adult themes and topics, including violence, sex, and my own foul mouth. As always, make sure to check the show notes for links to the Body Ballad sites, where you can share your creations with me and see the show transcripts and additional links if you are curious to learn more. And with that, let's get into today's episode The Gosport Tragedy or Pretty Polly. So, Today's song isn't nearly as sexy as last week's, but it's a really, 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 really important one for a couple of reasons. Well, more than a couple, a few, but I'm going to talk about a couple. First off, Pretty Polly, which is the eventual variation of Gossip Tragedy, is the song that got me so damn obsessed with this topic. I had first heard Pretty Pretty Polly off a Judy Collins album. Yeah, I know. No judgment. Now, why an eight-year-old was playing a murder ballad on repeat, uh, I don't know either, but I was a weird kid and had just read Pollyanna, so I suppose the word Polly grabbed my attention. I, of course, didn't understand any of the lyrics at that time. I just liked the melody, I think. I did, however, understand those lyrics by the time I was 16 when my own aunt suffered a very similar fate to paulie's and i think that just threw fire onto my passion for this topic and i just became consumed with finding out more about these old songs and how they could connect with what we were experiencing today it's also a perfect introduction to two other motifs we'll see a lot murder and vengeance in fact Songs such as this are often considered to be the original forms of true crime. It didn't start as pretty polly though, like I said. Instead, it began with a ballad called The Gosport Tragedy. So let's start there. The Gosport Tragedy or the Perjured Ship Carpenter, published between 1728 to 1763. In Gosport of late there a damsel did dwell, for wit and for beauty did many excel. A young man did court her to be his dear, and he by his trade was a ship carpenter. He said, O oh dear Molly, if you will agree and will consent to marry me, my love, you will ease me of sorrow and care if you will but wed a ship carpenter." With blushes more charming than roses in June, she answered sweet William, Hmm, I'm too young. Young men are so fickle, I see very plain. If a maid is not coy, they will her disdain. They flatter and swear their charms they adore. When gained their consent, they care for no more. The handsomest creature that was ever born. When man has enjoyed, he will hold in scorn my charming molly what makes you say so thy beauty's the haven to which i would go so into that country i chance for to steer there will cast anchor and stay with my dear i never shall be cloyed with the charms of my love my love is as true as the turtle dove and all i crave is to wed with my dear and when thou art mine no danger i fear the life of a virgin, sweet William, I prize, for marriage brings sorrows and troubles likewise. I am loath to venture and therefore forbear, for I will not wed a ship carpenter. For in the time of war to the sea you must go, and leave wife and children and sorrow and woe The seas they are perilous, therefore forbear, for I will not wed a ship carpenter. But yet, all in vain, she his suit did deny, though he still did press her to make her comply. At length, with his cunning, he did her betray, and to lewd desire he led her away. But when with child this young woman were, the tidings she instantly sent to her dear, and by the good heaven she, he swore to be true, saying, I will wed no other but you. They passed on till at length we hear the king wants sailors to see the repairs, which grieved the damsel unto her heart to think she so soon with a lover must part. She said, my dear William, ere thou must go, remember the vows thou madest me. But if you forsake me, I never shall rest. Why dost thou leave me with sorrow oppressed?' Then with kind embraces to her he did say, I'll wed thee, dear Molly, ere I go away. And if tomorrow to me thou dost come, a license I'll buy, and it shall be done. So with kind embraces he parted that night. She went to meet him in the morning light. He said, dear charmer, thou must go with me before we are wedded a friend to see. He led her through valleys and groves so deep, At length this maiden began for to weep, saying, William, I I fancy thou leadst me astray, on purpose my innocent life to betray. He said, that is true, and none you can say, for I all this night have been digging a grave. Poor innocent soul, when she heard him say so, her eyes like a fountain began for to flow. O perjured creature, the worst of all men, heavens reward thee when I'm dead and gone. Oh, pity the infant and spare my life. Let me go distressed if I'm not thy wife. Her hands, white as lilies, in sorrow she wrung, beseeching for mercy, saying, What have I done? To you, my dear William, what makes you so severe? For to murder one that loves you so dear. And said, Here's no time, disputing to stand, and instantly taking the knife in his hand, he pierced her body till the blood it did flow, then into the grave her body did throw. He covered her body, then home he did run, leaving none but birds her death to mourn. On board the Bedford he entered straightway, which lay at Portsmouth, outbound for the say. For carpenter's mate he was entered, we hear, fitted for his voyage, away he did steer. But as in his cabin one night he did lie, the voice of his sweetheart he did hear to cry. Oh, perjured villain, awake now and hear the voice of your love that loved you so dear. This ship out of Portsmouth never shall go till I am revenged for this overthrow. She afterward vanished with shrieks and cries, flashes of lightning did dart from her eyes which put the ship's crew into great fear. None saw the ghost, but the voice they did hear. Charles Stewart, a man of courage, so bold, one night he was going into the hold, a beautiful creature to him did appear, and she in her arms had a daughter most fair. The charms of this so glorious a face, being merry and drink he was going to embrace, But to his surprise, it vanished away. So he went to the captain without more delay and told him the story, which when he did hear, the captain said, some of my men I do fear have done some murder. And if it be so, our ship is in great danger to the sea must go. One at a time, then his merry men all into his cabin. He did straight call and said, My lads, the news I do hear doth much surprise me with sorrow and fear. This ghost, which appeared in the dead of the night, which all my seamen so sadly did fright, I fear has been wronged by some of my crew, and therefore the person I fain would know. Then William affrighted with tremble, did tremble with fear, and began by the powers above to swear. He nothing at all the matter did know but as from the captain he went to go unto his surprise his true love did see with that he immediately fell on his knee and said here's my true love where shall i run oh save me or else i am surely undone now he the murderer confessed out of hand and said before me my molly doth stand Sweet injured ghost, thy pardon I crave, as soon as I will seek thee in thy silent grave. No one but this wretch did see this sad sight, then raving distracted he died in the night. As soon as her parents these tidings did hear, they sought for the body of their daughter dear. Near a place called Southampton in a valley deep, the body was found, while many did weep. At the fall of the damsel and her daughter, dear, in Gosport Church, they buried her there. I hope that this may be a warning to all. Young men, how innocent maids they enthrall. Young men, be constant and true to your love. Then a blessing indeed will attend you above. So, (laughs) one of the things I want to start with is early modern pronunciation. You had to have noticed how I said Carpenter and not Carpenter or C or sorry, say instead of C. This is something that many people working in early modern poetry find themselves looking at, but none have done a better job at that than David and Ben Crystal. It's this change in pronunciation that makes many of Shakespeare's lines no longer rhyme. If you think the original productions of Shakespeare's plays were very poshy uh, for the fancy highbrow crowd, um, please go check out the links in the transcript for more about the Crystal's work and original pronunciation. So, why am I even talking about Shakespeare? A couple of reasons. First, it's important to remember that one of the most important places to sell these broadsides broadsides. Was outside of the playhouses, and for that reason, there are many that take cues from the works of playwrights of the time, including Shakespeare, and vice versa. Sometimes a song on a broadside will be one that references a play or is from a play that people have just left. It's almost impossible to fully separate the early ballad tradition with the playhouses. And there's a lot of academic work that's been done on the tying between the two, but we're not here for that. We're not here for serious academic work. We're here for exploration. So the second reason is that Shakespeare is known for playing around with words and structure because Shakespeare didn't play by the rules either. And we credit him for introducing plenty of words to the language, and that is the evolution of language, which tends to want to simplify itself as we move forward. If we can say something in three syllables instead of eight, we gon' do it. This is also one of those great songs where we get specific place names that make my research fingers twitch and itch because I want to know if it's actually true crime and what information I can find that might possibly match the story. We are given three names, Portsmouth, Plymouth, and Gosport. But Plymouth is more of a side detail to give information to where the body was found. We do know the publication date of approximately 1728, and that time frame lines up for the time that Gosport had been experiencing a boom due to an increase in naval presence in Portsmouth that started in the later end of the 17th century when Charles II ordered strengthening of the fortifications there or the repairs that are mentioned in the song. It would be wonderful if a historian in the area could go dig around in some dusty archive and find any murder trials from the late 17th or early 18th centuries that could be possible matches. I mean, now obviously there'd be no ghostly visitor in the real story, but imagine if true crime writers did that and added that kind of stuff today, like supernatural vengeance. I'm sure the genre would become even more popular. Anyways. That brings us to the next version, The Cruel Ship's Carpenter, which was published as early as 1767, and gets a few revisions we'll talk about after. So I give to you The Cruel Ship's Carpenter. The moon it was shining on Fair Plymouth Town, there lived a lovely damsel, her name was Miss Brown. She courted handsome Willie, her darling for to be, his trade long and steady, A ship's carpenter was he. It was early one morning before the break of day, a voice came to the window and this to her did say, saying, Rise up, lovely Mary, and come away with me before we get married some friends and pleasures to see. He led her through fields and valleys so deep till at length lovely Mary began for to weep. Saying, Willie, handsome Willie, you've led me astray through the fields and valleys my life to betray. It's true what you say to me. It's the truth you say. For late, late last night I was digging your grave, your grave that is open and spades standing by and down in the grave, your fair body must lie. And he stabbed her, he stabbed her till the red blood did flow and into the grave her fair body he did throw. And he's buried her so neatly and he's covered her so sound, not thinking this murder would ever be found. It was early one morning before the break of day. Over comes the captain, and this to all did say. There's murder on shipboard has lately been done. Our good ship lies in mourning and cannot sail on. Then up and spoke one sailor. Indeed, tis not I. Up and spoke another. The same I do deny. Then up spoke young Willie to damn, curse, and swear. Indeed, sir, not I, sir. I'll vow and declare. But as he was a-going and turning around, he spied lovely Mary. She was all dressed in brown. And she's snatched at him, and she's cut him, and she's torn him in three, saying, that's for the murder of my baby and me. So... The first big change notice is the location changes from Portsmouth to Plymouth, and the girl gets a last name of Brown. But the biggest difference is the entire bit of the girl trying to refuse his initial advances. So let's go ahead and talk about that, shall we? It has me wondering where this cultural idea of if she says no at first, you should just keep hassling her until she gives in came from. That no doesn't really mean a no after all. That's the idea that's being pushed and this still happens all the damn time and I seriously don't understand how anyone could think this predatory animal-like behavior is what a woman wants from a complete stranger. Now I know that some think it'll be perceived as some kind of grand romantic gesture but it's not and anyone who did find it appealing would be a walking red flag. Obsession isn't sexy or romantic. It's frightening as fuck. Now, I will say that if a lady you have an established relationship with likes you to go all animalistic and crazy in the bedroom once you're together, that is all your business. But again, consent and not stalking. So ranting aside, back to the story and the more mm, macabre, aspects of this version that honestly kind of make it my favorite. And it is for sure the detail that made me want to go digging deeper into the ballads out there. It was like the moment I discovered that the original grim stories were brutal and bloody. There's no king's justice here, just the vengeful wrath of a fury. There's one thing that stuck out to me on this read that I hadn't noticed before, though, and that's the use of the word brown, both as a last name and to describe how she was dressed. It's such a weird descriptor for a spectral ghost, too. Whatever word you'd use to describe a ghost that can literally rip someone into three different pieces, it's not brown. But it's a clear hint to the creative process. I can imagine the author sitting there thinking, what the shit rhymes with around? Also, remember what I said about pronunciation earlier? This is where it becomes important. If you're someone who pronounces that D at the end of around, then that rhyme does not make sense at all. However, if you don't pronounce the hard D, eh, then it makes perfect sense. So if you say around, down, uh, it works. So it works for Southern folks, I guess anyways i also have to wonder what the rejects were if the writer finally settled on brown of all things like they could have just changed the line and had something that ended with down like drug him down but no we get brown so the story gets stripped down further into what we have today with pretty polly now It's important to note that these songs did sometimes go by some other titles. So the other titles for these songs are Love and Murder, big fan of that one, Polly's Love, Nancy's Ghost, Molly the Betrayed, and The Fog-Bound Vessel. So with all that said, let's look at the lyrics of our final version, Pretty Polly. Oh Polly, pretty Polly, would you take me unkind? Polly, pretty Polly, would you take me in kind? Let me sit beside you and tell you my mind. Well, my mind is to marry and never to part. My mind is to marry and never to part. The first time I saw you, it wounded my heart. Oh, Polly, pretty Polly, come along with me. Polly, pretty Polly, come go along with me. Before we get married, some pleasures to see. Oh, we led her over mountains and valleys so deep. He led her over hills and valleys so deep. Pretty Polly mistrusted and then began to weep. Oh, Willie, little Willie, I'm afraid of your ways. Willie, little Willie, I'm afraid of your ways. The way you've been rambling, you'll lead me astray. Oh, Polly, pretty Polly, your guess is about right. Polly, pretty Polly, your guess is about right. I dug on your grave the biggest part of last night. Oh, she knelt down before him a pleading for her life. She knelt down before him, a pleading for her life. Let me be a single girl if I can't be your wife. Oh, Polly, pretty Polly, that never can be. Polly, pretty Polly, that never can be. Your past recitation's been trouble to me. Oh, he went down to the jailhouse, and what did he say? He went down to the jailhouse, and what did he say? I've killed pretty Polly and trying to get away. And that's it. After over approximately 300 years, these are the bare bones we are left with. But they still work. All the same meaning is still there. It's just been simplified. And this brings us to today where Pretty Polly has become a consistent favorite in various genres. One of my favorite variations is by a group called the Congo Cowboys, an amazing group out of South Africa that I have linked in the show notes. It's a wonderful example of how culture spreads a 17th century english ballad travels to america where it gets uh hooked up with the west african modified akonting, and i am sorry i'm sure i am butchering that pronunciation the akonting becomes the americanized banjo which makes its way back to africa with pretty poly perfect example of the fluidity and constant transformation of culture so when I think about that, the way music and stories transcend both time and place that I start getting goosebumps and realize studying these songs and sharing them out with all of you is something I have to do. Even if this podcast never gains a following and goes absolutely dick in nowhere, I'm going to still keep putting them out. I just find it too important. As you can see, this final version is really shortened to the most basic of elements, and an increase in things like alliteration. And I think the most notable for me is that justice is now being taken by the hands of law and not the divine or supernatural. That's just a big shift in cultural thought of where justice comes from. Justice no longer comes from God or the divine justice comes from man. And I wonder how much this has to do with the enlightenment and industrial revolution working so hard To push out all the superstition in favor of things that can be measured empirically, which means in the physical sense. Aside from this, there's also a sense of Polly not really getting full justice. That's why I will openly admit that from a storytelling perspective, The Cruel Ship's Carpenter is where it's at. What do you guys think? As always, I'd love to see and hear any kind of thoughts or ways this song has inspired you in the past or in the present. And until next time, y'all stay safe and stay creating. Bye-bye.